0: slash atheists out there who will have interesting um, notes and comments
1: about it and let us know what they think. And we may even do a special segment on our next show specifically devoted to what you thought about the leadership debate. And remember, political skepticism is part of skepticism. So if they sit there and they made some extraordinary claim without providing some extraordinary evidence that it's a good claim in whatever field... That's quite
0: good. Let us know at radio.freethinker at gmail.com. Ethan, are there any other?
2: Well, we have a a few skeptical highlights just to mention before we head out for the day. Uh,
3: Cafe Inquiry, the hate speech debate, is happening on Saturday, April 16th at SFU Harbor Center in the Canford Policy Room at 11 a.m. And uh, our guest on the show today, Farzana Hassan's talk, uh, The Naquab Freedom or Oppression, is Saturday, April 16th at 8 p.m. at UBC's Chan Center. Tickets are available online at the Chan Center's website for $26 uh, for regular folks and $14 for students. So book your tickets and uh, see her talk. Sounds good. Already then, folks. Uh, this is Ethan, your free-thinking
0: historian, saying thanks for listening. This is Don saying eyes open, minds on. So long, folks. Fred Durst, he's like Iggy. Oh, I, I, you, you are sorely mistaken. I, I, I... play something from uh, Three Dollar Bill, y'all. What is that? That's the uh, the landmark Limp Biscuit album. Uh, Limp Biscuit. Oh my God! I mean, they, they... wait. You don't agree that those are the most crucial grooves you've heard since Funkadelic? <laughs> what Limp Biscuit grooves? Yeah, absolutely, It's I like know. the ultimate cross between between Funkadelic and Rob Tyner. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't agree at all. Oh,
1: y- you do not deserve a radio
0: show.
4: CITR, 101.9 FM, your crucial groove station. It's just a lot of
0: The third annual Dancing Bear Music Festival is taking place Saturday, April 30th at Quest University in Squamish. Nonprofit and organized completely by students, this year's lineup features John and Roy, Brastronaut, topless gay love techno party, humans, and more. Local vendors, a children's area, and tie dyeing promises fun for the whole family. Tickets are $15 for students, $20 general admission, and $25 at the door. Tickets are available at Zulu Records and High Life Records. To check out other ticket locations or to purchase tickets online, find Dancing Bear Music Festival on Facebook or visit dancingbearmusicfestival.com.
5: This is Dan Mangan and you are listening to CITR
6: 101.9 in Vancouver and surrounding University area.
7: They want to be
6: loved by.
4: DC celebrated another successful season (laughs)
6: <laughs> Check
7: my
6: pulse Don't change Space
7: 72 Come shine on me Waiting
3: 101.9 FM CIT Radio Vancouver, Canada, every Tuesday from 4.30 to 6 p.m. We will have a pre record next week. Um, lots to get into on the show today, of course. Uh, really, within three weeks now, we are going to find out if UBC is in fact going NCAA or or not, uh, President Toop. Here it is between the twentieth, the twenty, yeah, the twentieth and the thirtieth of this very month. Will be making his decision. Uh, we're gonna have Justin McElroy from the UBC newspaper and our very own Wilson Wong, who also have a report on big blocker, gonna be with us. Um, I'm gonna be replaying an interview I did a couple weeks ago with the president of the CIS, Clint Hamilton. But to start of, uh, us off today, a man who. It does really affect this individual if UBC does go NCAA or not. We have the head coach of the UBC Thunderbird women's softball team. I love this record, Coach, 23-18, and 1-0 at home uh, the rest of your 40 games on the road. So a lot of travel for you guys, eh?
8: All travel, 44 of our 48 games are in the U.S.
3: Uh, with us on the line right now, uh, Phil Tome, the uh, head coach of the UBC Thunderbird women's softball team. Uh, so, Coach, uh, sum it up for us. 23-18 and 18, um, on the year. Uh, how's your team doing so far? How would you rate your, your squad's play?
8: Getting better and better, and we are getting ready to go to regionals. We just came back from San Francisco, Oakland this weekend and won all six games. So we're back to practice for two or three weeks, pro- play SPU and then off to San Diego for our regionals there on May the 4th.
3: So you've already qualified for the regionals. Um, what's it been like, though, Coach? That's a lot of road games you've had to play, hey?
8: Long time. We had a long road trip uh, when we went to San Diego the first time. We played eight games and then went over to Tucson, and played eight games. So we're on the road for 10 days, played 16 games. And we were tired and did very well and getting better.
3: Awesome. So, um, Coach, tell us about some of the stars, uh, players that have really stepped up for you guys this season.
8: Oh, the stars. Well, I think we have a whole team full of stars Mm -hmm. now. Everybody's just been getting better and better. We have a couple seniors that have just been pounding the balls and got multiple double-figure home runs for the year. Our three pitchers did very well this weekend, and everybody stepped up and played well. So right now we're very happy with everybody. It looks like everybody will represent UBC very well.
3: And uh, your leading hitter, let's talk about her 434 average, 11 home runs on the year, uh, Courtney O'Connor. Tell us about this player.
8: Courtney's been on fire. She's been consistent throughout the whole year. You can really rely on her. We get somebody on, she's going to drive her home. She's actually right at the top 1-2 in our conference uh, for RBIs and hits. So she's done a great job, but not to be outdone, Tanya McLean's right behind her and smacked two more this weekend, so she's up to 13 home runs now.
3: And uh, your leading pitchers, uh, it seems like you got a couple of them. Uh, Leigh De La Siga, hopefully I have that right. And uh, the one with your best statistics, 10-6 and six on the year, 3.54 ERA, uh, Kelsey Addinson.
8: Kelsey's doing really well. She's been improving all along. Um, we all started a little slow but like the second half of the season uh, uh, all the pitchers, ERAs have come right down so we had a tough first half of the season we played uh, four or five of the top 25 ranked teams in the nation so we did very well against them as well so we're very hopeful that we'll go in there and compete and represent UBC very well in the regionals this year
3: Awesome. So, um, Coach, tell us about the, the rest of the games you've got to play this year. Obviously, you mentioned playoffs right around the corner. Uh, tell us about the season winding down right now.
8: Well, it's winding down. We have a little bit of an open time frame here because the exam started uh, yesterday. So for the next uh, two weeks uh, is final exam, so we have to cut back a little bit. That's why we don't have to schedule games, but we will continue the practice for all the kids that can make it
3: out. Awesome, and then your next game, as you mentioned, May second versus SFU. You got a doubleheader to to wrap up the year, uh, playing them out in Richmond, BC. So uh, right. Richmond, not too far to go, hey. So,
8: <laughs> oh, hopefully everybody would come out. It's on a Monday afternoon, one o'clock and three o'clock. As unfortunate as all the home games we have, but they'll give our local supporters an opportunity to come out and see us play.
3: Awesome. So that's uh, May 2nd versus SFU, and then you'll be traveling to the regionals in San Diego uh, that weekend. Uh, Tell us about how the regionals shake down, Coach. uh, Who you guys expect to play in that, and what are UBC's chances of making it to the national championship tournament?
8: Well, right now, there'll be six teams in that regional, and the number one, number two, and number three team are all in the top ten ranked in the nation, S.F.U. is sitting at number four. We are number five. And the sixth team is Patton University, which whom we beat three times this weekend. But the matchup, from what it looks like, will be four and five. Four and five, that's UBC and us. Three and six would play, and then the two winners would play. The two teams that gets to buy, the one and two teams. Awesome. From there, you would have to beat them, but they will, we will have two teams out of our six going to the Nationals.
3: So if you get... Out of the first round, you get an automatic berth to Nationals? Is that how it works?
8: Oh, uh, sorry, if the first round will give you the opportunity to play the number one team or the number two team.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, so you have to win that round, and then you're in. So you, you guys will have to win two rounds.
8: we we'll have to win a minimum of two rounds to get into being the final two.
3: There you go. Um, Coach, you know, I mentioned at the top, and the decision is coming around the corner, I know you got a playoffs to get ready for, but you're going to know by the time you go if UBC is going NCAA or not. Um, the research I've done tells me that, you know, and you guys are one of those NAIA teams that doesn't exist in the CIS. Uh, your thoughts, Coach, that if UBC doesn't go NCAA at the end of the month, your program, in essence, could be done within five years.
8: That is rumor. I guess we'll just have to carry on to be a travel team until that day comes because there's nobody in Canada to play, other than SFU. So hopefully it will happen, and like you say, we will know by the end of the month if we're going forward with that application.
3: And NCAA Division II, from what I hear, for the softball team, not as much traveling for UBC. We're not going to have these 44 home games versus 44 road games versus one home game kind of schedules.
8: A big, big advantage for us going NCAA is they have a rule. You have half your games at home. So if you go to, in the schedule you play somebody else, they must come back and return the favor. So Simon Fraser, for example, has 18 home games this year on their schedule, plus us, so 20 games at home, half their games are at home. And that is the big advantage. You'll cut down the cost and make it a lot more advantageous for us that you're not always on the road. Playing the games
3: that you will get half your games at home. Uh, coach, there are seven other programs in your boat cross country, uh, track and field, both golfs and both baseballs. You know, the Terry McKeggs team and, and your softball team. Uh, tell the people uh, listening right now, you know, UBC, if they go NCAA, you know, like you said, you get to play in a really competitive league and really get to keep your program. But if UBC doesn't go, uh, tell us what it will mean to the players on your team really not having a league to play in anymore.
8: Yeah, that's unfortunate because uh, some of them won't be happy, but I think this big trade off UBC offers here is a great standard of education, and that's what a lot of the kids here are here for, not just the ball. Ball is just part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they like to have the high-caliber ball to go with the university experience, but I think that if it does not happen, then... Some of them would have to move on back to SFU or they'll go back down to the States. But if we move forward, we will be able to draw better players that want to come here and stay here and get good caliber of ball as, along with a great education.
3: So, Phil, Tom, uh, a big advocate, obviously, of UBC going NCA, We can say that, can't we?
8: You can say that. Ten years down the road, we like to be a Division One school. We are big enough here. You take your lumps, but you'll get better and better over the years. And when you... We will have a number one program in the NCAA as well down the road.
3: Uh, may I ask you, Coach, if you've heard anything about what's going to happen come President Toop's decision April 20th to 30th?
8: I'm very positive that it will go our way. The university would like to see it go that way, I feel, and they would like to see us be there as a Division one school down the road.
3: There you go. Uh, Coach, thanks so much for doing this, and you know what? If, if uh, <laughs> I'm still here around then, uh, let's do something in May after your regionals there. Uh, that's great. Thanks. Thanks, For Coach. Uh, so it's Phil Tom, uh, head coach of the UBC Thunderbird women's softball team. Uh, there you go, getting into the NCAA. And I'm off next week. Um, we're not going to do a show. I'm going to be replaying uh, some Canada West men's basketball playoff game uh, next week. Either UBC, Manitoba, in the Canada West Final Four. Or we might even replay Saskatchewan, Trinity Western. So really for talking about the NCAA because the decision comes in on the 20th to the 30th. this might be for me my last show to talk about it. Um, lots going on, and we're really gonna dive into it uh, over about the last, we'll say 45 minutes of this show today. I'm gonna replay the interview I did with Clint Hamilton, the president of the CIS two weeks ago. And, you know, he wrote that letter to UBC trying to get them to stay. Uh, And Justin McElroy and Wilson Wong are going to be with us at the end of the show. Justin from the UBC, Wilson from our CITR Sports Department. Uh, We're going to be talking about really the pros and cons and what we think is going to happen here. And this is a big one that I didn't know about that has really come up are these two – are these eight NAIA teams – Where what it is, is the CIS does not allow dual membership. And if UBC doesn't go NCAA, there's a chance that the women's softball, the men's baseball... Because the NAIA is going to fold. I have to say it. The NAIA is going to fold within the next five years. Three to five years. One to five years, I've even heard. They're going to be absolved by the NCAA. Well, the rules are in place that you can't be NCAA and CIS. So, these teams are basically uh, up Creek without a paddle. And... What's going to happen is we're going to have folding the men's baseball, the women's softball, both men's and women's golf, both men's and women's cross country, and both track and fields who currently do outdoor. The only way they can survive is if they go indoor. Um, It's a big one. President Toob's office has told me, Catherine Doverne, the senior advisor to the president, has told me that UBC's In this decision, President Toop's decision, he's going to look out for what is best for all the teams. Well, as we've said before on this show, there are 29 UBC schools. If eight-fold, if you don't go NCAA, how is that beneficial to all the teams? Um, And once again, UBC, if they go, it'll be NCAA Division II for at least five years. Any sport that does not have NCAA Division II will be eligible to move up to NCAA Division I right out of the gate. Uh, Those schools are going to be, those teams are going to be men's volleyball, women's hockey, men's ice hockey. And 25% of NHL players play NCAA Division I hockey now. So that's a pretty decent number. Um, We're going to find out. It's coming down to the wire. I read a report online, that it's a done deal that UBC is not going. Um, I'm not buying it. I don't think that's... Everybody I've talked to, President Toop has kept this thing very close to his chest. Um, so who knows? Here's how it's going to work, though, with the schedule is Chad Heisen, who was on this show two weeks ago with us, He, him and Andrew Sullivan, I believe is his name, are doing the consultation report, which is going to take all the information together and give it to President Toop. That report from Chad... And the consultation committee is due on President Toop's desk on Friday. President Toop will then meet with the governors of UBC on Tuesday, one week today. And then sometime between the 20th and the 30th of April, President Toop will be making his decision. So those are the big uh, things going on. I I read and I heard that the UBC board met uh, last week. And a lot of them were anti, they want to stay in Canada, and a lot of them were pro. And a big reason for going pro is this uh, NAIA teams. Let's not fold the NAIA teams. That was a big thing for the pro people to come up. And it's going to be really hard for President Tupin. I don't know how he can do it, to say he is doing what's best for all the athletics, all the teams, when by not going, you're cutting eight. I don't see a way around that. So... We'll see what happens. Um, I spoke with some people involved with the AMS um, just recently on my way really into the station today. And they met last week. And the AMS has gone and said, we're not pro. But I think more importantly, we're not against UBC going NCAA. Um, The AMS, basically, their two concerns are as following – They want to make sure that their intramural funding is protected, which I really hope if UBC goes, they keep that intramural funding for those uh, AMS students, for the students here. And the other one is UBC has to be U.S. academically accredited. Not every student has to write the SATs, but every uh, athlete will have to write the SAT. Well, the cost is five hundred grand for the first year and one hundred grand pretty much thereafter per year, which apparently is going to be a big deal in this decision. but I also spoke to somebody else here at UBC who says to be honest that 's not that big of a deal, so it 's wonderful you 're hearing so many different things, but um, apparently the AMS has said UBC <coughs> probably hasn 't done all they could to get the NCA to waive that academic accreditation. The NCA has said that they won 't waive it for UBC but The AMS seems to feel that UBC didn't do all they could to get that waived. So that is something that if UBC does go, look for the athletic department or the university to go more all out to try to get it waived. I am for NCAA, but uh, we'll see what happens. We're going to save a lot of this. For the last half hour of this show. All right, moving on right now. Moving on right now. Our very own Wilson Wong uh, covered Big Block for us, um, the end of the year foray for UBC Athletics. And without further ado, uh, big thanks to Wilson, who's going to be on with us at about 5:30. Here is his report. <laughs>
4: UBC celebrated another successful season on Wednesday night, looking back at a year that saw the women's volleyball team win its fourth CIS title in a row. And since sports like baseball, golf and track are still going on, the Big Block Awards honour the best from last year's teams in those sports. So women's golf was the other big winner. They won the RCGA and NAIA titles in 2010 and shared UBC's Team of the Year award with women's volleyball. Shanice Marcel from Women's Volleyball won the Marilyn Pomfret Award for Female Athlete of the Year teammate jen hinza shared the may brown trophy for graduating female athlete of the year with liz Gleedle of track and field
2: yeah just thank you so much this is really awesome first i just want to thank the athletic department because it's been amazing five years here and you guys really make a difference for a student athlete so thank you very much and also to my coach doug reimer it's been incredible you've been so awesome i've learned so much from you and lastly to my team i mean what can i say like i think to me volleyball epitomizes a team sport because you really can't do it alone you can't bump, hit, set, whatever the heck they are, <laughs> by yourself. So thank you so much, guys. It's been truly amazing. This is for you. So thank you.
5: Hey, everyone. This has been really amazing to win. There's been so many amazing people nominated, and I feel really honored to be up on the stage. UBC Track, you've been... The best group I could have been competing with, training with, just having people by my side all the time, pushing me. Andy, you're the best training partner I could have had. So thank you so much, EBC, and see you all at Venue.
4: And if you're wondering, Venue is where the athletes had their after party. The Bus Phillips Award for Male Athlete of the Year went to Anaki Gomez of track and field. Among his highlights in 2010, fifth place in the race walk at the Commonwealth Games in India. Volleyball's Blair Ban was named the Graduating Male Athlete of the Year, winning the Bobby Gall Memorial Trophy. Bann never missed a set in his UBC career and was named the country's top libero three times.
3: Uh, I'd just like to say I'm truly honoured to win this award. Uh, my past five years here at UBC has been an unbelievable experience, hanging out with uh, my top dogs every day. <laughs> yeah. But uh, most importantly, I can't thank my teammates, my coaches enough. And uh, I feel truly privileged to be able to play here and earn a degree here. And uh, I feel that I'm the person I am today because of basically everyone in this room. So thanks very much.
4: Ban also won the Thunderbird Athletes Council Performance Award. There were three Rookie of the Year winners. On the men's side, it was first-team Canada West soccer all-star Gagan Dosange. He helped UBC to a silver medal at the CIS National Championships this year. On the women's side, Kylie Barros led the women's golf team to two championships in 2010. She also won the individual competition at the RCGA Championships. While Savannah King won CIS swimming titles in the 400 and 800-meter races, also taking conference and national Rookie of the Year awards. Jane Blank won the Carolyn Dobie-Smith Award for Trainer of the Year Ben Miller of Alpine Skiing won the Arthur Delamont Award for Service to UBC Athletics. He is both a skier and a coach on the team. Jennifer Wilson of Women's Rugby and Nicole Sherman of Women's Rowing won Leadership Awards from the Thunderbird Athletes Council. UBC also honoured some of its past heroes on Wednesday night with new inductees into its Hall of Fame.
5: Here are the 2011 UBC Sports Hall of Fame inductees. Leo Grownwagen, An outstanding UBC lineman, Grownwagen was an all-Canadian, CIAU outstanding lineman finalist and member of the 1986 Vanier Cup champion team. The CFL's number one draft pick in 87, he played 17 seasons in the CFL and was selected to the CFL All-Canadian team three times. He retired in 2003, but retains the CFL Ironman award for most career starts by a non-kicker with 252. His coach at UBC, Frank Smith, summed it up as saying, he did a great job, one of our favorite players and people, you can't say too many good things about him. Gail Borthwick. One of UBC's best ever golfers, Gail led UBC to the Western Canadian University Golf title while being named individual champion. She later represented UBC at the 1966 NCAA Division I Championship. Her BC and Canadian Golf Hall of Fame career has seen her win Canadian Amateur Championships in four different categories, plus in the 1990s, two U.S. Senior Amateur titles. One of the greatest amateur golfers in Canadian history, Borthwick's coach at UBC, Loris Tolney, stated, "Gale was the highlight of my UBC coaching career. Jack Cowan. Considered Canada's best fullback during the 1950s, Jack Cowan had an outstanding four years at UBC, which led to a career in the Scottish First Division, the first British Columbian to do so. Cowan returned to Canada to become a B.C. and Canadian All-Star, resulting in induction into both the B.C. Sports Hall of Fame and Canadian Soccer Hall of Fame. Jack was one of the top-left fullbacks Canada ever produced, stated longtime soccer administrator Dave Fryett. UBC can lay claim to producing a pioneering B.C. player who made it big in U.K. soccer. Doug Kyle. UBC launched this middle-distance runner's career as an Olympian, a Canadian champion and record holder, and as a three-time selection as Canada's outstanding track athlete. At UBC, Doug Kyle was a 1950s All-Canadian record-setting track and cross-country star. An inductee into the Canadian Amateur Sports Hall of Fame, Kyle confesses, If it hadn't been for UBC, I would never have realized my dreams in track and field. Jack Kelso. An energetic and inspirational swimming coach, teacher, and faculty advisor, Kelso laid the foundation for the successful swimming program UBC has experienced during the 1990s and 2000s in large part through his national titles and his three CIS Coach of the Year awards. Currently, he holds records in World Masters Swimming, and with his world-class ranking and number one age group ranking in Canada, he has been acknowledged with Swimming Canada and Sport BC Awards, including BC's 1999 Masters Athlete of the Year. Fred Hume. As UBC Athletics' first historian, Fred has enhanced the awareness of UBC sports history through his research and writing. He serves as a resource for the department, the campus, and the media with much of UBC's historical sport information as a result of his work. He has established a knowledge trail for others to follow. In addition, he created the UBC Sports Hall of Fame, honoring UBC greats of the past which has resulted in alumni reconnecting and becoming engaged with UBC. women's 1971 to 1973 track and field and cross-country teams. Virtually unbeatable with several athletes in common, these teams featured five Olympians and three team members subsequently inducted into the BC Sports Hall of Fame. These women dominated the 1971-72 and 72-73 Western Canadian and Pacific Northwest University competition. A very confident group Remember star athlete Thelma Wright, one could say the 70s was UBC's golden age of track and field, with the 1971 to 73 years perhaps the epicenter of this age.
4: Doug Kyle brought the biggest laughs of the night
5: with his speech.
3: 60 plus years ago, when I was at UBC, BC didn't stand for before cutoffs. But when I saw the girls in those cutoff skirts today, I was really impressed.
4: But he was also very thankful.
3: Um, it's real honor to get your first big block. And when I got it in 54, I was really, really honored. But when I was called um, a few months ago to say you were inducted into the Hall of Fame, that was truly the greatest honor I have ever had at UBC. And I've always been indebted to UBC for my college education plus my track and field career. So thanks, everyone. Thank you.
4: But the one enduring theme throughout this year's Big Block Awards was how UBC has been able to celebrate its athletes past and present because of Dr. Buzz Moore. He died late last month after almost half a century working with athletics. He was a short list of all the jobs Moore had. Business manager, historian, fundraiser, coach, accountant, mentor and caretaker. And the Big Block Awards for 2011 were dedicated in his memory. For Thunderbird Eye, I'm Wilson Wong.
3: Uh, Very much thank you to Wilson Wong. That was our report from uh, Big Block. Okay, everybody, we are going to take a break right now here on 101.9 FM. Uh, When we're back, we're going to have an interview I did two weeks ago with the president of the CIS, uh, Clint Hamilton. So you're listening to 101.9 FM.
7: Uh myself, suddenly I'm up on top of the world, should have been somebody else,
4: believe it or not, we're talking about sports, I never
6: thought I could feel so free, flying away on a wing and a friend, who
4: could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. CITR Sports, please listen.
0: Become a friend of CITR and receive great discounts at businesses around Vancouver. Your friends of CITR card will net you discounts on Commercial Drive at Audio Pile, Bone Rattle Music, High Life Records, and the People's Co-op Bookstore. You'll also save online at Band March Canada and Big Mama. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To find out more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus or visit us online at citr.ca. Become a friend of CITR and receive great discounts at businesses around Vancouver.
6: Your friends of CITR card will net you discounts in the Westside UBC area at Banyan Books, The Bike Kitchen, The Eatery, Fresh's Best Salsa, Gumdrops, Kerner's Pub, Prussian Music, Rufus's Guitar Shop, and West Coast Music.
0: And don't forget the UBC Bookstore. It pays to be a friend of CITR. To find out more, come visit us in room 233 of the sub on UBC campus, or visit us online at citr.ca. Bond.
6: James Bond. Got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky?
0: Well, do you, punk? You talking to me? You talking to me? I just want to say one word to you. Just
7: one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, sir,
5: you. Plastics. I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Just a sweet transvestite.
7: Transsexual Transylvania
5: Where else can you see Hollywood blockbusters, midnight cult classics, indie films, live music, burlesque, stand-up comedy, poetry slams, and live sporting events all at your local theatre? The Rio Theatre voted number one in East Vancouver, your neighbourhood indie theatre that promotes all things cool.
0: Check out Sucker Punch playing through April 7th, Your Highness playing the 8th through 21st, and awesome midnight movies every Friday. For more information
4: go to riotheater.ca.
0: A message for students from Elections Canada. If you want to vote right away you can. A special ballot allows you to vote immediately at a local Elections Canada office or you can mail in your ballot. You must register to vote by special ballot by 6 p.m. April 26th. You need to know the name of your candidate. If you decide to mail your ballot, make sure it gets to Elections Canada on time. You can find details on the website elections.ca or call your local Elections Canada office or the toll-free number 1-800-463-6868.
8: Yo, this is Mick and you're listening to Wieners Barbecue on CITR.
7: My Will you be my baby? I heard it with the grapevine, my chonga. Will you be my baby? I heard it with the grapevine, my chonga. Will you be my baby? I heard it with the grapevine, my stronger? Will you be my baby?
1: You listen to wieners barbecue and they're not giving me a damn thing for
3: this i, I saw a little of deliverance with uh burt reynolds last night um we'll move on yeah uh, the song drink a little poison before you die um said it's by the soul rebels brass band i think john mooney also uh from the show treme i uh, don't know if anybody watched it uh season one season two will be starting i believe it's uh week sunday april 24th um drink a little poison before you die and I actually had like a gelatin for flowers yesterday. I don't even know. And I, th- I, I, I thought it was like a gu- – I don't know. It was in a jar where Fred told me, don't eat it, but eat it. And they kind of played with me a little bit with it. And I ended up eating it. And I don't know. I'm feeling a little woozy today. So if I'm not back here in two weeks – uh Who knows? (laughs) Anyways. uh, Yeah, I did. Uh, I ate that. All right. We are going to have the president of the CIS, Clint Hamilton, on with us momentarily. I'm going to play an interview I did two weeks ago. And then we're going to have Wilson Wong uh, from our CITR Sports Department and uh, Justin McElroy from the UBC to help us uh, take one last stab about uh, the NCAA Division II topics. Um, But before we get into that... Some moves with the UBC Thunderbird men's basketball team have come out. Uh, The big news is Randy Knorr, the assistant coach of the last six years, former two-time national champion for St. FX, will not be back as the assistant coach for UBC next year. Uh, Kevin Hansen confirmed that with me today. Um, and uh, So that's a big loss. Hopefully we'll have Randy on in the next few weeks. Not next week, but to uh, find out his reason. Family is what we're being told. Um, UBC basketball team, keeping it going there. Two cuts have occurred. Akeem Pierre and the big recruit from Winnipeg two years ago. I'd like to get Wilson's thoughts on this when he comes on. Chad Posthumus uh, won't be back. Kevin Hansen was able to confirm with me today. Um, two recruits that will be here. Nikai Lukin from Yale. Malcolm Williams from Pitt Meadows. David Wagner from Kamloops. Um, still having some trouble getting him in here. And Mamadou Matumbo, who kind of paid his own way and just kind of practiced with the team all year last year, he still has a shot to make the team next year. So, lots going on with the UBC Thunderbird men's basketball team. A still more point guard on the horizon, uh, or that we can report on at least. Okay, NCAA. Could be my last show to talk about it. Um, about three weeks ago, or two weeks ago, I think it actually is, uh, the CIS issued a letter to UBC, uh, basically pleading with them (laughs) to uh, stay in the league. I talked to Clint Hamilton, the president of the CIS, about it. Uh, Almost like a last stab by the CIS. And you'll hear it at the end. And then Justin McElroy of the UBC and Wilson Wong uh, from our sports department are going to be on. He touches on three things that the CIS is proposing that they're going to change. Is they're going to change the way the governance is run? We'll get into that. I didn't even really understand what he meant about it in the interview, and Jeff Sargent, who helped me go through it a few weeks ago, also didn't quite get it. Um, They're going to talk about the scholarships. UBC, of course, wanting to go full ride. CIS willing to discuss it, but they're not willing to give the full rides that UBC wants. Lastly, and it's the messy one, um, then Wilson and I are going to be able to go through this one with you, is they're proposing like a two-tier Canada West they're going to split it up into two regions, an 11 team and a 5-8 to eight team, which sounds good. They're going to sort of take the older teams so it'll be more competitive and the newer teams will create a league. The problem is, last year the Canada West in men's basketball got two spots for nationals. Well, you'll hear Clint Hamilton in this interview say that uh, you can guarantee that both region winners will get automatic bursts. Well, if that's both bursts, and he said, you know, there's the wild card to work out. You'll hear him talk about that. Well, if you're in, like, the, t- the Tier 1, the wild card, you're competing basically with your record against other teams across the country. Good luck getting that wild card. Anyways, without further ado, and then we're going to discuss UBC and the CIS one last time. Here's my interview with UBC and the NCA and the CIS one last time. Here's my interview with Clint Hamilton, president of the CIS who really wants UBC to stay in the league. here with Clint Hamilton, uh, president of the CIS. Uh, So you recently met with Stephen Toope, uh, the president of UBC, who in about the next month is going to make the decision whether UBC goes NCAA or not. Uh, Flat out, sir, how did that meeting go, and what did you talk about?
1: Well, yeah, and and, uh, just for some other background, we had met with uh professor toop uh, a couple years ago as well um uh, you know obviously to express in in person how how important ubc is to the cis and uh want to understand some of the uh, concerns and and uh, issues from a ubc perspective so this this latest meeting that we had uh, myself and the ceo of, of cis mark mcgregor and the and the president elect of uh, cis Leo mcpherson uh we, we were really um welcome the opportunity to be here, Professor Toop and I would suggest that the, from our perspective the, the meeting was very good and uh, we had a very good dialogue uh, and obviously we uh, were able to uh, deliver the message we wanted to deliver to President Toop in terms of how important UBC is to the CIS and that we really feel that CIS would be diminished without UBC and uh, you know that we uh, certainly hope that UBC chooses to remain a CIS member and and really to work with us um, in moving the organization forward, kind of addressing what those challenges are and and pressing issues are for the organization and with an eye towards uh, wanting to have UBC continue to be a leader in terms of growing... The organization. Uh,
3: sir, so, what were some of the issues that UBC brought up and what are you doing about it? Because the big ones we're hearing are UBC wants a tiering system and they want improved scholarship. Uh, is the CIS willing to budge on those issues in the immediate future?
1: Well, I think, you know, certainly UBC has been uh, consistent in terms of uh, being one of those members that wants to have more flexibility in scholarship. Um, really, with an eye towards um, wanting to keep the best uh, student athletes in Canada, and so they certainly see scholarship as one of those issues that needs to change um, in terms of being able to provide more of what would be, I guess, considered a Division One full ride scholarship, um, and then also, you know, in terms of uh, wanting to keep uh, and maintain the best competitive environment. Um, uh, they certainly have suggested things like tiering uh, um, is is important. I think the other uh, component we've always heard from UBC is that from a governance standpoint, um, they'd like to see governance change, which would <laughs> allow uh, sports that are or universities that are more vested in terms of the number of sports having more potential uh, influence in terms of how decisions are made. So, from a standpoint of uh, so, so I would suggest that CIS is, has been working uh, hard. I wouldn't say in direct response to UBC. I mean, there's a number of people in the CIS that uh, are like-minded in terms of wanting to create the conditions that would keep Canada's best student-athletes in the country and choose CIS members as uh, or institutions um, to that end. So, from a scholarship standpoint, we've been working very hard at looking at um, a flexible scholarship model. Uh, although, at present. The CIS is also, a lot of members are concerned from a compliance standpoint, and that is in terms of uh, bringing greater understanding to what our rules already are. Uh, so that's significant. But I would, uh, so that's a significant uh, item for many of our members right now, uh, which we're well on our way to, to addressing, which I would suggest is important to do so that we can get on with the discussion about, okay, what can we do within uh, the current limits to raise those, uh, limits. The other significant thing that's occurred is that, uh, uh, we are going to be going this June to our members with, uh, with a new governance uh, motion that will in fact create will create a, a presidential oversight and advisory committee. Um, and that's significant from the standpoint of the whole scholarship issue. One of the things we know is that, uh, to some degree, colleagues across the country that are athletic directors, um, they really see that to move on scholarship is going to go need to go to another level. And there's really been no avenue by which CIS institutional heads, uh, people like Professor Toop and his colleagues, can have um, uh, have an environment where they can talk about significant issues for CIS scholarship being one of them. So we're we're Confident, or I'm, I'm confident. I should say that uh, we're going to have um, written into CIS governance an opportunity for presidents to have an advisory role. And I would suggest that uh, once that's in place, that the first item on the agenda for those presidents to discuss uh, will be scholarship. So in terms of, in terms of uh, dealing with kind of current concerns around scholarship and with an eye towards how we can move on the scholarship issue, I'm confident that CIS has. Uh, really addressed um, scholarship, maybe not to the extent that we're going to be moving forward with a with a brand new scholarship policy that will be what exactly what UBC wants, but in terms of uh, setting the stage for um, change to occur, I, I really believe that we've uh, done that. Uh, uh,
3: Mr. Hamilton, how long would it take, though, for these changes <gasps> to be implemented, if uh, all goes according to plan, even?
1: Well, that's a good question. That's hard, you know. If I had a crystal ball, that's hard. That's hard to say. But I don't think we're looking at something that's a five or ten year uh, window. I would like to say that within the next few years um, that we would see change. Again, I'm not going to sit here and say that is CIS is going to move to a full scholarship uh, similar to what the NCAA does. Um, no, and I don't. I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe that there are many members in Canada that are close to being able to do that. And uh, given kind of the data that UBC has, uh, you know, has to report to CIS, it's clear that UBC, based on what they report, is nowhere near being able to move to that level either. Um,
3: And the other one, sir, uh, is the tiering. And I read that. Something has been implemented that the Canada West, which currently has, uh, who mainly play basically these, all these teams play volleyball and both of the basketballs, is once you get to 19 teams, you are going to go to a two-conference system, two-division system within the Canada West. Can you elaborate on how that would work in just, say, the game of basketball and how it work in the playoff structure and all those
2: issues?
1: Well, I think I could speak to it conceptually. I don't know if I can speak to the detail because uh, the detail needs to be uh, worked out into the future. But essentially, as you're probably well aware, is that in BC and in Canada West, we've seen great membership growth, um, including um, your counterpart in Kelowna, where there's been you know uh, former former institutions that were colleges or competed within Canadian College want to play in CIS within canada west so what canada west has done is uh, they've come up with a strategy the future competitive uh, structure strategy that would essentially show when we get to when we essentially get to a uh you know a core group of of members that we will in fact move to a two regional association approach so that essentially would see what has been the uh, traditionally the members of canada west would be competing and then you'd have the new members uh would move into their own regional association in essence creating another regional association within the cis and that that really um um, you know, there had been rumors that uh, UBC, and for that matter, my institution, UVic, would be moving to a BC-only division or a BC-only conference, and that's not the direction that uh, this uh, the Canada West strategy has moved. It's, in fact, uh, two regional associations, but aligned amongst um, what have been... You know those traditional members of um, of Canada West, and also the new the new division would be those new schools.
3: Uh, yeah, Ed, sir, can you confirm? So you're going to have the 11 old schools, basically your UBCs, your Uvics, your Reginas, your Albertas, and then you would have eight of the newer schools which already would include UBC of Okanagan, Fraser Valley, and Thompson Rivers. And I believe you're at 16 teams right now, so three more, not counting UBC of Okanagan, would actually have to join for this to be implemented, hey? Uh,
1: I, no, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I can understand how you would, um, would, would get to that. Um, you know, I think... The whole membership equation is an interesting process in and of itself, right? You need to go through and affirm which members are in fact going to apply. Well that's happening. Um and at present, um you know, there's also speculation that other schools may choose to apply. But I think even within that, um going forward with a second regional association <laughs> um it's quite possible that we don't have to wait until there's nineteen members to be able to do that so i'm 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 uh, I'm not trying to be evasive it's just that I think that it could it could be what what I do know is that um, the the current the current model is very much one that UBC would be playing within what has been their traditional Canada West rivals, and that the newer organized, the newer members um, as they become um, as they become affirmed, will create their own conference.
3: Yeah, um, from a skeptical standpoint though, sir, with this is once the playoffs come around, of course UVic uh, once had one of the great basketball dynasties maybe the great basketball dynasty this country has ever seen, um in the playoffs, though, this other conference is still going to be able to compete for the national championship, so you, you might wind up with really skewed playoff matchups and teams in this other conference that have just incredible records but haven't played that high-quality competition. That could occur. That's what I'm looking at from a skeptical standpoint. That could occur in this new system.
1: <laughs> um, well, I would look at it and say that if there's two regional associations, currently um, every regional association is CIS – Of which there's four regions. They determine their conference champion who go on to national championships. So if we create a new regional association, which is the plan, Mm -hmm. um, that each regional association will create its will will determine its champion. So I think what you would have potentially in the in the first few years is you'd probably have the newer members that would have that would have uh, you know their regional champion. Who knows? I can't speculate how competitive they'd be relative to the other conference but you know within canada we also have processes that uh, really determine other representatives to national championships i.e the non-conference winner um, through wild card and other processes where that competitive kind of that competitive balance is brought into play in, term- in terms of filling out national championship fields
3: Okay, so it is basically to to be determined how how the playoffs would work, and
1: and, and I understand. Yeah, yeah you one, mentioned the one thing you yeah. can be confident in is that within a new regional association, if a new regional association is established, that a regional association champion will in fact go to national right. championships. I think you can be pretty certain about that, Daryl.
3: Okay, cool. Um, thank you very much for doing this today, uh, Clint Hamilton. Uh, sir, if you could just touch on um, the the note you guys put on the CIS website uh, yesterday uh, regarding uh, your feelings towards UBC, perhaps leaving in your thoughts on this university staying in Canada. Could you, could you elaborate on what you guys did in that letter yesterday and, and really why you did it?
1: Oh, well, absolutely. We think it's obviously important. Uh, again, part of the... Part of the um, reaching out and meeting with uh, President Toop, and I would suggest through other ways um, that CIS very much values UBC as a member. And uh, we recognize obviously, from, from the standpoint of accomplishments, achievements, uh, contribution to leadership from various employees, and, you know, including Bob Phillip, a former CIS president, um, UBC has made a significant impact on CIS. They're a key leader, and uh, we certainly hope they choose to remain a CIS member and want to continue working with us and addressing pressing issues uh, to grow CIS. And I think when you look at the, the statement that it was important for CIS to make that statement uh we've done that both on the campus uh directly to ubc and uh we felt that it was important that uh, you know we make that statement and uh, as, as such i think the statement reflects that
3: uh, thank you very much uh, clint hamilton the president of the cis uh sir thank you very much for your time today very much appreciated.
1: all the best my pleasure
3: <laughs> okay so that was an interview i did with uh i'll turn that around there <laughs> <laughs> I got it now, Wilson. We're coming in now. Um, Who knows? That? Oh, you don't have your headset on. So, we're good.
4: I can hear you, though.
3: There you go. That's the key. Uh, that was my interview I did with the president of the CIS, Clint Hamilton, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, with us right now in the studio, Wilson Wong, our sports director de facto. Why, why are you questioning that? <laughs> are you? Are we reelected you? Uh, I don't know. Oh, exactly. Oh. <laughs> Last year's sports director, though, for sure. Uh, Thanks, Wilson, for coming in, and with us from the UBC, uh, Justin McElroy, uh, back on the show. Uh, Justin, we'll start with you. Uh, Your thoughts, uh, because this is what Clint Hamilton obviously giving us, what he told UBC and what the CIS is trying to do. Uh, Your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, and if that's the best that the CIS can do at this point in the game after two, three years of negotiating with UBC, then you really can't blame uh, the administration for saying, look, we've negotiated as much as we can and there's simply nothing here for us to change positively of what we've been trying to get done. You look at scholarships, there's still nothing on the table. Hamilton said himself that there's no chance that anything comparable to the NCAA is going to come up. And he can't even give any actual tangible deadlines of when there might be improvements there. You look at Tearing, he says, well, yes, in the near future there might be things so that UBC will play th- less games against the Thompson Rivers uh, and, uh, <coughs> and the other, you know, less quality uh, athletic schools out there. But it still doesn't do anything about the real competitive balance. It also potentially guarantees that they're going to be uh, competing with with the same number of high-quality schools for less places in national championships at the end of the day. And uh, there's not a whole lot there to give anyone who's uh, passionate about staying at the CIS confidence that they're willing to make the minimal changes that UBC needs to see happen for them to justify to their athletic department and to boosters of the NCAA, look, we're staying at the CIS because they're actually making good-faith attempts to change. I don't think that's there.
3: Did you understand what he meant by the governance at all?
2: Somewhat. I mean, it's something that comes up at, uh, I believe it came up at their last AGM as well, in terms of making it so that at these places where all the schools vote, that the there's some sort of voting structure so that if schools that make up, you know, 60% of the population all vote in favor, then it passes and it doesn't matter whether the total number of schools is less. Things like that. You can do things, and that's one of the things UBC has been saying. It's like, look, at the end of the day, we're getting outvoted on these key things by Brandon and uh, schools like that. That needs to change. And yeah, that's nice. But the net effects of what that would do aren't going to come for many, many years to come. And UBC's been pushing for many, many years already.
3: And Wilson, staying with the
2: governance,
3: uh, as we know, Ottawa- Ontario votes as a block.
4: Is that what we got? Well, you know, you, they, you know, that's what a lot of people complain about that in the end, when you have a conference as big as the OUA, with so many schools that, that whatever happens there sort of dictates what happens when they make up so many uh, schools in the league. That, I mean, I've heard complaints about that. I've heard things said by coaches, not just at UBC, but at other schools, just saying that, you know, look, what is good for Ontario schools or what Ontario schools want maybe isn't what schools out west want or out in the Atlantic provinces. And... It's frustrating when, you know, it could be the rest of the country that wants something. But if if Ontario decides and it's, you know, dictated by Toronto, the Toronto schools, um, what, you know, what they want goes.
3: Uh, well, so my question for you is if two weeks from now or 10 days from now, whatever it is, President Toop decides UBC is going to stay in the CIS. Uh, You heard Clint Hamilton talking, or he talked here, is they're looking at changing the governments, they're looking at changing the scholarships, they're coming up with this region, which what got me, there was really in my interview with him and talking about it for two minutes, I was able to poke these holes into the place, which he didn't even have an answer to, Justin. Um, Wilson, do we have the confidence that the CIS is going to get their act together here, if
4: UBC stays? (laughs) You're laughing, (laughs) you see? Well, I've covered it for 10 years. Yeah. As much as I love the league and and what it gives us, and as much as I love watching UBC play against Canadian schools, and, you know, I actually like when, you know, UBC's women plays Thompson Rivers, you know, if the schools are competitive. But there's so much about the CIS that is irritating, you know, when when things like the CIS you know can broad- get the broadcast rights to a national championship for the men where their games are actually live you know
3: you're talking about the men's basketball uh, yeah, that
4: was uh, the, played by TSN
3: and good old CITR was the only live feed in right. Halifax eh
4: um, yeah i mean that's just yeah or what re- about
3: what about this the other one that happened to us in halifax uh, justin was our pregame show You went off of the website, and that's where Wilson booked. Because we wanted to have for the semifinal a one-hour pregame show. It said 6 o'clock out east, which is 2 o'clock here for the start time. So we booked our studio for 1 o'clock, which would give us a one-hour pregame show for the UBC Trinity Western game. Well, unbeknownst to us, the program, which Ben Shack, the sports information director, caught, said that the game started at 5 o'clock. Not what the website said. The game started at 5 not 6 and we, Wilson, lost our pregame, didn't right. we? We couldn't
6: get it done.
4: And, you know, like mistakes like that happen. But, I mean, you look at how things are done a lot of the times in the CIS and in the conferences. You look at what happened with women's basketball this year. Victoria, in the playoffs, loses in the first round. UBC loses in the first round. There's a wild card to be given out to the regional championships. They give it to a team that finishes two games behind UBC in Victoria, a team that UBC beat twice. In, in the, Victoria. In Victoria in yeah. the regular season, at the end of the regular season. So you're, you're wondering, okay, so in what world does that make sense? And why does this sort of stuff happen in this league and in this association? Why is it allowed to happen? Stuff like that. Uh, it just, it really boggles the mind. And, and really, it really diminishes the type of product that people kind of um, envision when they think about, oh, UBC, uh, whoever they're playing. Well, you know, with this sort of stuff that happens, it really makes the league look amateurish. Well, and I mean, let's be clear,
2: you can pick up the pages of the New York Times and see there's a lot of issues with the NCAA as well. But I mean, I think uh, going back to your... Point, Daryl, uh, you look at what might change or what might happen if UBC stays in the CIS. UBC doesn't have any more leverage if they stay in the CIS. You know, they've been very clear. We're making this decision now. This is the, you know, not long term, at least medium term decision that we're making here. And so to, at the, if UBC stays at the CIS, what impetus do they have to actually reform themselves? Yeah, there's a lot of issues with the CIS that are just there, and I think it's, they're going to continue to be there so long as it's sort of a collective organization that focuses more on a general competitiveness for all rather than trying to create elite competition or some sort of large sense of, uh, to, you know, demand viewership. And that's fine. That's a good thing for to have in an athletic association, and frankly probably makes most sense at 75% of schools in Canada. Doesn't really work well for UBC, though. Uh,
3: Justin, is this one thing, though, with the proposals that the CIS is bringing up? This is what I said to you today, too, Wilson. Justin, shouldn't it seems to me that if the CIS was serious about these proposals, and it, like you said, if UBC is going to get these things done, these should have been brought up a year ago, and probably should be ready to be implemented right now. That's sort of what I'm seeing. So they could work out the kinks, discuss it, have it implement. Not. Have UBC stay, and we're going to discuss these issues, you know?
2: Yeah, well, and I mean on the scholarship issue, of course, they did did talk all throughout 2009, 2010. They created a committee to look at this flexible scholarship model, and there was just so much controversy around it that it was not even brought up to debate at the AGM for a motion. Not even any general debate. You couldn't say whether the CIS was in favor or not. You couldn't say which schools were not because you... It wasn't actually brought forward to the table. And so, yeah, you know, they've already done that once before. I don't think anyone just seeing the history of the CIS can say with full confidence that they're going to get this conference hearing thing right immediately off the bat and so at this point if you know this is the last ditch negotiating of the cis to say this is what we can give you here don't leave um uh, it does not exactly strike confidence
4: and and it's not just something for ubc it's it these changes i think are going to be good for the cis it's not just, well, okay, we need to do this to keep one school out of 27 in football and, and however many else, you know, in other sports to get them to stay. It's it's just, it's probably good to, to have that sort of stuff as an option for schools. You can't just kind of keep everything at the lowest common denominator and say, well, that allows everyone to take part. And just keep everything at, you know at the lowest common denominator, it just doesn't really work. And you just I don't know, I just think the changes that UBC, I think, what we think they're looking for is, is probably a, a good thing for the league as a whole, Not just you know, we're not just talking about, well, you know UBC needs to have this and needs to have that for, for their own sake, and they need to have more power uh, you know, for whatever they want. In the end, I think what we're discussing is is going to be good for the league.
3: Right, and we'll see if they're implemented. Uh, Justin, my question for you is uh, criticisms for UBC in this process and reasons why they should stay. Are there tangible reasons why UBC should want to stay in the CIS right now?
2: Oh, I think uh, there's many, many reasons. Um, uh, You can look at the accreditation costs, both financial and sort of from a sovereign perspective of, uh, you know, that happen. If UBC joins the NCAA, they're forced to go through this process to um, hire, uh, I believe, two full-time employees to make sure that we line up with uh, what these American institutions say that uh, universities should have or have not. That's definitely something that's concerning. You look at the fact that the athletic department has done, frankly, a terrible job honestly communicating Div 2 versus Div 1, the benefits and the drawbacks, and so that, you know, President Toope has uh, complained a lot about the misinformation out there, and people don't really know uh, what's on the table and what's being debated and what's good and bad, and athletics bears a lot of responsibility for that. There's also just the fact of whether athletics is ready, both from a competitive standpoint and also an organizational standpoint, to make what is A large leap, you know, CIS to NCAA Division II is, as you can see with SFU, there is a lot you have to traverse, and athletics hasn't given really any sense that they're fully prepared for that other than they really want to be there. So, yeah, you, you know, you can still make that case, but at the end of the day, the arguments that UBC has made have been of why they are considering the NCAA, have been in good faith, and the CIS has not done a adequate job of responding to them.
3: Uh, Wilson, my topic to you is I spoke with uh, Catherine Dovern, the senior advisor to President 2, a few weeks ago, and she told me um, UBC, the way that the president was going to make the decision was it was going to be based on how it affects all the teams. Which even, I,
4: even alpine skiing. Even
3: alpine skiing. All of them combined. Um, and now we have the NAIA question. And I had uh, Peter Tome, the head coach of women's volley of women's softball, on with me Who? today. Phil Tome. Well done there, Wilson. Uh, The head coach of women's softball on with me today. You saw me like scrambling to find it. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) On with me today. And this is a guy desperate to have this team go NCAA. He wants it to be Div 1 long term. But, Wilson, this is one of eight programs. Both men's baseball, women's softball, both golf teams, cross country, track and field, that if UBC goes, the NAIA is apparently going to fold or be absolved, is what I'm hearing by the NCAA, within five years. It could be one to five years, and these programs, based on the fact that you're not allowed to do, do dual membership, are just going to fold. Uh, and you were at Big Block yesterday, and I heard your report. Uh, last or week. Last week, I'm sorry. I heard your report, Wilson. Yeah. A lot of NAIA <laughs> people getting those awards. How yeah. big of a devast- I. I I, ha- I have trouble getting over. It's going to be best for all schools if they stay in the CIS. If it means eight of these teams have to go under, your thoughts there,
4: Wilson? Um, I'm saying this, you know, with the condition that the NAIA does fold, and or, that,
3: or it gets absolved by the NCAA. Right. I think that's what I'm here. I think
4: <clears throat> I'm. I'm going to say this based on the fact, based on the the thought that that these teams would fold. You can't. You can't let baseball fold, period. It's the one program that has brought the most media attention to this school, ever. To have Jeff Francis drafted and then a few years later to have him start Game 1 of the World Series and to have basically every outlet in B.C., in Canada, talk about UBC, Talk about UBC Athletics, uh, UBC Baseball uh, is something that no other program can do. And to know that, to to know how hard people like Terry McKagg and Mark Hiscott have worked to bring back this program, to know, you know, to think that this could then fold, considering um, all the hard work that's gone in, you know, they've put in that practice field. Um, to know that that could go, based on whatever decision is made, seems criminal, and, and not to mention the success of the golf programs, track and field. Um, those are programs that bring constant, um, you know, success to UBC. So, you know, it's it seems. I mean, and this is, you're talking about this po- possibly being. The case, it just seems uh, criminal to actually think about folding some of these programs and and uh, telling these athletes, hey, you know, there there are some other schools you'll need to go to 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 take part in these sports.
2: True, so- yeah, true. But let's be clear: no one forced UBC to have a baseball team or golf team, or to expand them. You, you know, they chose willingly to do that. They chose the, <clears throat> that uh, the NAIA, which is hasn't been for. You know, many, many years, anything that you could call a very healthy, giantly competitive league, and that they were going to put them in there. And uh, you can call it a tragedy if it's a fault, and yeah, it would be very bad for the people who have invested time into them. But uh, UBC finds itself in a tough position right now because I don't think you can say that the CIS or the NCAA are either wholly appetizing. Right. Because in a lot of. in a lot of respects, they've expanded in terms of their programs and the quality of their programs to a point where they're in this middle ground. Um, And... uh, to say automatically, well, because of that, the, the only sensible thing to do to prevent a tragedy is uh, to, to make sure that we can go to the NCAA, I think uh, it isn't exactly fair, because athletics at the end of the day has to live with the strategic choices they make, and sometimes mm. those backfire.
4: No, I, I, I totally agree. It's just, uh, it's it, if they are taking all sports into consideration, then it'd be nice to know, okay, what 's the whole process when it comes to how it affects the people who are uh, in swimming or, or swimming, from swimming to football to baseball to the programs that are going to get canceled if they are going to be canceled?
2: Well, yeah, I, And I was just going to say, and, and you know the fact that uh, Toop's assistant said that is sort of the rationale. I think you can see a little bit of uh, their communication strategy and the you know year ahead to come if they choose to go to the NCAA because then you're going to hear a lot about how the football t- the difficulties for the football team and Sean Olson isn't in favor of uh, moving you're going to suddenly hear a lot about the giant issues that hockey will have in transitioning over um, you can hear uh, mumblings volleyball works quite fine in Canada right. and these are the For the most part, the higher profile sports at UBC. Div
3: div one, though, for men's volleyball will be a step up.
2: It it will be, but I'm just, uh, my point is that people people might see the lack of positive change, at least initially there, question, well, why are we doing this? And the fallback is, well, this benefits the majority of sports. Which I, th- which you know, is a fair point. And if that's what your most important consideration is, then yeah, the choice becomes much easier.
3: Uh, Wilson, well, my question for you too is, um, women's volleyball apparently they're going to go to a lesser league, NCAA Division II, shorter season. Um, and football, you know, we saw what happened with SFU. Definitely, you could say NCAA Division II not a step up, but. Well,
4: they. they... They were terrible in that
3: league,
4: (laughs) too. So I I don't know how you can tap.
3: (laughs) It's what Justin said, though. It's really come out. Women's volleyball, from my understanding, has actually been pretty muted on it. Because then I think the NAIA has gotten to a lot of these student-athletes. They don't want to go really anti-NCA because, you know, you're putting your friends on the baseball team. The program dies. But football has, and I think the football community here, uh, the CIS football community, has been very anti-UBC going. My question for you is it enough for UBC to say CIS to keep to placate the football program, if that's
4: what it comes to? Because
3: I don't think it is.
4: What about you? I don't, but there are a lot of very influential people who played football here yeah. and very a lot of influential people who are very passionate about football. I don't know how much influence they will have on the decision, mm-hmm. but um, again, you know, what um i just think you know with with football you've got one team lots of players yeah but one team so if if it's majority rules then how can it be one team over the interests of all others
2: Well, and I mean, at most Canadian universities, you know, the football team is a prestige program. It's the one that is covered the most, that most fans come out to in Canada. The Vanier Cup is the most watched thing. It's the one that gets the most attendance. UBC, that's not the case. Um, uh, The athletic department doesn't really treat football like a prestige program. You only have to look at Thunderbird Stadium to see that clearly. Um, And so, yeah, if we were at another university in Canada that would be an issue that would stifle things up, I don't think it is at all here.
4: I I totally agree. Just because, I mean, you you do look at what the marquee sports are here. Men's basketball. Men's basketball. Yeah. And then the other sports, like a women's volleyball, because they've been so successful and, and say, maybe baseball, but it's men's basketball here. Um, But, again, you know, how how can you take one, one team's interests over another when you look at how things are done? Men's basketball, um, you know, they've got what t- ten, fifteen, twenty players and, and a few coaches. That's it, right? So yeah. um, you wonder what, what kind of thoughts they have and how much influence they'll have versus what some of the football people are, because you know, um, you know, lots of influential people in the connected with the basketball program too.
3: Uh, last one I just want to bring up, guys, and then Mike with Flecture Heads coming on here, is the AMS. I spoke with one of those guys uh, actually on my way to the station today. Uh, they voted on this or discussed it last week. Yep. And he said they're not going pro or against it either way, which I think is in favor of the athletic department that they're not. Against it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, in 2008, uh, uh, the AMS voted, uh, you know, said we're against moving to the NCAA when this was first on the table. So this is a step up. This is a step up. And there are two reasons for that. First one is simply that at the time they were leveraging for um, lower fees for the bird coop and other recreation um, places, which were at the time the highest in Canada really. Um, the second one is, frankly, there's no real leadership on the athletic agenda from any of the executives there, and so it's not something that they have a strong position on, and so they feel no real need to do that. And I mean, it just goes, you know, part of the reason why uh, Tube can say I'm looking at what's good for the athletic program as a whole is because students haven't really tuned into this consultation process. There was a total of, uh, of two students at one of the consultation events that were just regular students. It was the baseball team, I was at that one. Yeah, oh. yep. <laughs> And so. Was at, there free food? There was coffee. Yeah, so. And watermelon with not that much of it. Okay, well. Wow. So, you know, at the end coffee of the day. Coffee and watermelon. They're just begging me to go pee in the middle <laughs> of that. Go ahead, sorry, Jeff. Yeah, but. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Um, but uh, the university has tried to make this uh, a consultation process like it was three years ago. But no one's really biting. Uh, the UNA isn't interested. The AMS isn't interested. And so, to, yeah, athletics has a lot more of a say in how this has gone. And obviously they're predisposed to be in favor of this move.
3: Uh, last one, Wilson. we got to get off the air here for Mike. Uh, your thought on what's going to happen and what do you think should happen?
4: I think what should happen is they should stay in the CIS and allow every post-secondary institution to join. Which means, like, you know, if Gulf Islands Film School wants to join, they can. Emily Carr University. Everybody. Everybody should join. (laughs)
3: Start a basketball team. Start a volleyball team. Yeah,
4: exactly. And um, it should be, like, you know, 400 schools like the NCAA. Justin, your thoughts?
2: I, I think at this point, uh, UBC can do what it, it, it likes. I go a pox on both your houses to both leagues. But I think the most important thing is that uh, the VP Students Office has promised a full comprehensive review of athletics, what its priorities are, where his funding is going, what's important in terms of actually getting people out to games, which at some places is important. And I think they really need to invest in that seriously as a yeah. process regardless of what decision they make because that's going to have a much bigger impact on the future of the athletic community and how it relates to ubc as a whole
3: i don't think they can rely on the cis to change anything wilson i think this tiering sounds awfully messy
4: UBC will have less influence in any NCAA league than it would in the CIS. Anyways,
3: right? uh, thanks for coming on today, guys. Mm,
4: thank you. Very much it. It was fun it. as usual.
3: <laughs> all right. Uh, Michael flex Your Head coming up right now. Thanks for listening. Have a great day, everybody. Y'all know the doctor? Dr.
1: John, Mac Revenack. Come on.
7: and so thankfulness to the band and all the fellas. Two, three, four, one. Such a night. Such a night. Sweet confusion. Under the moonlight. Such a tonight and
0: Fred Durst? He's like Iggy. Oh, I, I, you you are sorely mistaken. I, I, I... play something from uh, Three Dollar Bill, Y'all. What is that? That's the uh, the landmark Limp Biscuit album.
6: Uh, Limp Biscuit. Oh my God! I mean
4: that. They... Wait, you don't agree that those are the most crucial grooves you've heard since Funkadelic? Uh,
0: what Limp Biscuit grooves? Yeah,
4: absolutely. It's I like know. the
0: ultimate cross between between Funkadelic and Rob Tyner. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't agree at all. Oh, y- you do not deserve a radio show.
4: CITR 101.9 FM, your crucial groove station.
6: It's just a lot of
4: from Wisdom and Chains and you're listening to the Flex Your Head show on
7: CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver, British Columbia.